0: Hello. Although this is the third episode of Birdcast to be released, it was the first we recorded. So for John and I, it's very much an exercise into entering the Creeping Unknown. Which is just as well, really. Since the Creeping Unknown was the American title of The Quatermass Experiment, the Hammer film's first adaptation of the Quatermass series for cinema. Joining us and playing the part of Inspector Lomax to John's Professor Quatermass and my Victor Caroon is Dave Thomas, the writer of Hammer Films' Back from the Dead and BFI Patron, also thoroughly nice chap. In this episode, Dave, John and I discuss whether Professor Quatermass is actually a villain in the Hammer films. What exactly were they thinking when they called the film The Creeping Unknown? And what Jane Asher, Cake and Nigel Neal? have to do with this film. This is episode three of BirdCast, The Quatermass Experiment.
1: So, um, to give a bit of context, we are in the summer of 1955. We're a couple of years out from The Quatermass Experiment on the BBC. We're in fact only about two months from The Quatermass 2 on the BBC. Do you want to talk us a bit through about where we are with Hammer and why they did an adaptation of the Quatermass experiment?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, Hammer Films and Exclusive Films, which was, so there were essentially two companies. Exclusive was a distribution company, Hammer was a production company. They were owned by the same people uh, and they made product effectively for each other. And at this point in the 1940s and 50s, they were looking at things that were existing material. What you know t- today we'd say existing IP. No one at that point would use such a horrible term, but they were looking at things that were already out there. So they were looking at radio serials. They were looking at plays. They're like, what? What can we buy cheaply and turn into effectively second features and make some money? And in 1949, Hammer and Exclusive entered a deal with an American producer called Robert Lippert, who will come back to most definitely uh, when we talk about the Quatermass experiment specifically uh, who and essentially had a reciprocal deal so exclusive films would put out Lippert's films in the UK and he would put out Hammer films in the US and in 1950 Lippert made a film called Rocket Ship XM with Lloyd Bridges uh, which is kind of the first post-war basically sci-fi rocket tree movie and uh, exclusive films released it in the UK and it was a big success and it you know sort of predated things like Destination Moon and The Day the Earth Stood Still and Thing from Another World and then suddenly you have this sci-fi explosion which feeds into uh, the BBC who you know do the Quatermass experiment and Hammer are basically looking at we need to make some money out of this so they do some kind of early forays into sci-fi uh, they make a film called The Four Sided Triangle, which is sort of kind of a precursor to Frankenstein. It's essentially a thriller with a couple of vague sci fi elements. Um, they do a movie called Spaceways in 1953, which again effectively is a murder mystery with a rocket in it. So that's kind of the type of movie they were doing at the time. Somewhat noirish, very low budget, very modest, B features. And. When the Quatermass experiment comes out on TV and is a huge sensation, uh, they were the first people to basically go to the BBC and say, "Please give us the rights to this. We will pay you. Uh, we are going to turn this into a film."
1: Was that driven by by Hammer coming to the BBC or the BBC, or indeed Nigel Neal saying,
2: oh, wait, can, "Can we do something? Can we do something with this?" No, it was absolutely Hammer okay. uh, pursuing pursuing the material. I don't know. I can't remember exactly what the timelines are, but I believe it was sort of within the region of the first couple of episodes being broadcast. We, you know, we are the people that need to turn this into a movie, um, because really at that point, not that no one else was really doing that. They weren't taking existing material and turning it into films.
0: And, and that that's really interesting, because um, I was going to ask this. Um, you know, had people turned TV series
3: into films before?
1: Well, there weren't that many TV serials no, at this point, no, were there? No, absolutely.
0: Yeah, well,
2: quite. So the, the kind of things that Hammer did prior to this, you know, you would have like radio serials um, that were, you know, very popular, some, something like Dick Barton. So Dick Barton Special Agent was a hugely popular radio serial. Uh, Hammer got course, the rights yeah. to that. They made three movies, uh, one of which is actually quite good. And that was very much their, their raison d'etre at that time, was to find something that already existed. Sorry. It, didn't really need developing particularly they just had to turn it into a effectively 70 or 80 minute script knock it out quickly and then make a modest profit
0: and they're ahead of their time in this respect aren't they
2: well i mean now that's the business model of most studios and tv channels (laughs) effectively what's a what's a pre-existing material i mean what's the biggest film in the world right now avengers endgame based on a comic from the 60s um it's just taken a billion plus dollars in a week uh, so, yeah, absolutely, they were uh, forward-thinking in that way.
1: But there was never any feeling, or was there, that Neil would adapt his, his, his own script, or was it always going to be done by Amazon people?
2: So uh, the guy who adapted it, uh, yes. So he was noteworthy as a probably a kind of a B-feature writer, so he had definitely a brief to make this 80 minutes plus and something that would play in American cinemas with the 1950s view that you know this this was kind of a something for potentially teenagers that kind of emerging audience post war yeah, yeah exactly yeah. for for the um the kind of B feature market which at that point sci-fi pretty much was um, you look at the films that came out post rocket ship x m you are looking at things like invaders from mars bees from 20000 fathoms the original godzilla which we think of, you know we may think of as classics for a greater and greater or lesser value of classic but they are definitely films of a type you know we're not talking like big budget classics we're talking low budget black and white um, man meddling in the uh, purview of god that kind of thing which is one of the things that the quatermass serial is extraordinary is because it's not really doing that
1: no it really uh, no, it's, it's it's grounding quite a lot in Reality and yes. a huge inverted inverted commas. But, so it's know, kind like of interesting
2: it. that the film then inverts that again to effectively be what I think is a very enjoyable B movie, but it is resolutely
1: a B movie. So when Richard Landau um, he writes the script, now at what point do they then decide that it's going to be um, an American, if not co production, then, then have, have American yeah. funding and then yeah, American sure. actors?
2: So our friend Robert Lippert again. So 1949, Hammer did this deal with Lippert to in effect because he was distributing their movies overseas for them to sell in america it was very much the era that well you can't have a film that sells in america without an american star Uh, the term star is very much in inverted commas so lippert had access through his hollywood connections because he had worked in one of the major studios previously and so he had access to a stable of actors and they were either generally youngish actors on their way up, so Rocket Ship XM had Lloyd Bridges in it. He then actually went on to be in a fairly modest Hammer mystery thriller called Third Party Risk, which is not very good, uh, but it's the Hammer film with Lloyd Bridges in it. And so he basically gave a list of actors to the Hammer brass, and when they were coming up with a movie they would look at the list and they would say, okay, uh, of these three people, is one of them available? And they would say, of course, Brian Donlevy is available. Uh, (laughs) And so Brian Donlevy will be your Professor Koitimaeus. And so they did that, for the most part, like most of the Lippert productions are what you would sort of say are like British noir films but very modest, you know, very low budget.
1: Do you want to give a context of who Brian Donlevy was?
2: Yeah, for sure. So, so Donlevy had been a... He was a heavy actor. You not mean a, he played heavies? Exactly, heavy. yes. Not in terms right, of, right. of his physique, though he was kind of a, a bulky guy and that kind of played into his screen persona. But he was, uh, he was a screen-tough guy. Um, he'd been nominated for an Oscar he was you know sort of through that in the 30s and 40s through the kind of noir classic noir era he was not someone that tended to play leading roles in big films he would play leads in small in sort of small b pictures but was very known for supporting work in bigger films
1: could you Uh, not also argue i mean when we come on to don levy and don levy's portrayal there'll be a i don't think we'll be you know Going against the grain to be disparaging about it compared to compared to others, mm. but in terms of uh, he was typecast as a heavy, could not the same be argued for William Hartnell before he, he played Doctor Who? He was uh, the, generally known the as perennial the perennial sergeant. T- yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, well, I, seeing him in, seeing him in, in in sporting life playing against type, which is probably what sure. they what they did with it as well. I but mean, nevertheless, there was
2: one. One would probably argue that Hartnell transcended his mm.
1: to that point screen persona, and uh, Don Levy didn't. That's that's a fair point. Whether <laughs> you know, I suppose I'm thinking that you know, it's possibly less that they both play heavies and more how they were told to play it and the reasons they were cast. Mm-hmm. I don't think Hartnell was cast for, as Doctor Who because he played heavies. He was he was he keen. Didn't want to be a heavy anymore. He was keen to play against the type. Yeah. So the director for this is is Val Guest, a guy who was generally known for up until this point anyway for for comedies.
2: That's right. So he uh, he'd started out as a stage actor he, through a kind of chance encounter, ended up working at Gainsborough Pictures, um, and primarily in the sort of lighter material, he directed the only Gainsborough musical. And he had a reputation. He was someone who was known to be very meticulous. He was a good, solid pair of hands, which, as a lot of Hammer directors you know, were known exactly as that. And when he came to Hammer in 1954, he, he was directing a comedy. So, And again, this is one of their... Examples where they took pre-existing material. There was a radio show called Life with the Lions, which was very popular. Uh, was sort of a, a situation comedy of family life, uh, which they made into a film. Uh, they got the cast at knockdown prices because they were going to be on film, not on radio, uh, which is very typical of Hammer. And he did that. And he then went on to, because uh, he'd done a, a you know, perfectly adequate job, uh, he went on to uh, Men of Sherwood Forest, which was Hammer's first Robin Hood film, and also their first colour film. So it's a very modest kind of knock-off of the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, effectively. Uh, uh, and then, essentially, he did an, in, in another Lions movie. He did um, a Forrest Tucker movie called Breaking the Circle, which is kind of an early Cold War thriller, which is sort of prefacing some of the stuff he then did. And then he did mass and he didn't want to do it because he didn't really he wasn't particularly interested in sci-fi uh it wasn't material that was particularly in his wheelhouse but a, a job was a job uh and you know sure enough that's that's what he did
1: um but he then later became known for doing sci-fi. I mean, The Day of the Earth Caught Fire well, sure. is probably, if you chose one film that Val Guest directed, yeah, I mean, that isn't I'm, Confessions of a Window Cleaner. Yes, for or, sure. or The Boys in Blue. Or The Boys in Blue. Uh, yes. Then it's, it's The Day of the Earth Caught Fire. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, arguably one of the best British sci-fi movies from a director who wasn't that interested in sci-fi. Um, yes, it's a
0: great film. Genuinely.
2: And, and it's fascinating. that So the films that he's generally remembered for would be not his comedy output. Yeah. Um, Things like the, quite the first two Quatermass films. Uh, the Camp on Blood Island, which is one of Hammer's most kind of highly regarded World War II films, uh, which is excellent. Um, and Yesterday's Enemy, which is another one of their war films, which is really surprisingly sadistic for 1959. And I think the tagline was, you know, there were war crimes on both sides. And when they talk about mm. both sides, they're talking about Stanley Baker. Um, so... <laughs> So you know he he did some hard stuff. He, there's another Stanley Baker film actually um, called Hell Is a City, which is a, again a kind mm. of later period. Hammer Noir film from 1960, set in Manchester, which is superb. Well, highly recommended if, if folks haven't seen that. So,
1: isn't he one of the directors on the Casino Royale? Yes, yes,
2: yes. He, I, I forget what he's credited. Is it is not director. It's okay, right. Like, um, a scenarist or something. <laughs> he was uh, one of Cynarist. one of several directors on, on uh, Casino Royale. Um, and then uh, his his last uh, theatrical feature for Hammer. That he did some TV later on. Was uh, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, the uh, not sequel to uh, one million years BC, not starring Raquel Welch, but still quite entertaining. Fair enough, which lost out on its special effects Oscar to Bed Knobs and Broomsticks. Would you believe?
1: Fair enough, there's that's well, there's, yeah, there I mean, is that no argument, yep, there is no argument as to the, as to the validity for Bed Nobs and Broomsticks Oscar.
3: <laughs> you deliberately launched that rocket without waiting for official sanction. If the whole world waited for official sanction, it'd be standing still. You took too long. I made my own decision. To gamble with three men's lives? Every experiment is a gamble. The unknown is always a risk. They should know that. Did she know that? That woman over there waiting, hoping and praying? It's dropped another 100 degrees since we arrived. Still got a long way to go. Let's have that insulation lining. crack Yes, let's hope it didn't. Because Hello. if it did, Quatermass, and those three men in there are dead... Dead or alive, they'll be heroes. Are you all right, Let me tell are. you something, Blake. They'll fire the imagination so that there'll be a hundred men begging for the same privilege when we launch the second rocket. You can't stop it now. You mean I can't stop you now? That's right. This is Marsh calling Q1. Marsh calling Q1. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Over.
1: So, on to the Quatermass experiment. Hammer there going for the mass marketing of their getting the X certificate from Absolutely. the BBFC. Uh,
2: yes. Oh, if you're American,
1: the creeping unknown. Do we like that as a title? No. Howard, what do, you, what do you think is a title? That's a terrible title. <laughs> oh, okay, fine, fine. <laughs> right. That's god-awful. Yeah. I don't mind it. I quite like it. It's, I mean, it's, what's, it's,
2: what's, worse than the, uh, what's worse than the title is the poster. I don't know if you've ever seen the poster for the Creeping Unknown. Movie. I haven't, no. Uh, and you're, oh, you're uh, showing me now. Well, I, I can show... Uh, we'll put this on the website. Yes, have a look so at it is... Bloody hell. It is essentially what's a... What's that? Yes. It, it's sort of a dog with a bowl haircut and three arms... Um, and someone who is not in the film screaming, uh, and various other, and the, well, I suppose the lion is technically in the movie. Um, well, getting well, well,
3: yeah, no, the
1: dead leopard. The, yeah. yeah, oh, no, there's there's a deadline, the deadline as well. Spawned yeah. in the depths of outer space, a monster so horrible, so vicious, so incredible, even when you see it. You won't believe it could... Be. That's, that's, that's fairly... That's fairly... That's, that's, totally not, that's right. not... That's not... <laughs> that's quite that's, generic. That's fairly misleading. That's yes. to, that, the person has never, ever seen the Quatermass experiment, have they? No. So, Sorry, we, um, so we open, unlike the TV serial, we open on a country field with two young lovers in a haystack. A rocket crashes nearby and they seek refuge in a farmhouse. Now, the TV serial has a good, you know, five, six, seven minutes... Of the intricacies of both the stresses of of, work, of working on mission control on a, you know, and, yeah. and, the, and the tension, yeah. and the tensions there are that they build up, where they build up gradually, and some play towards the difficulties of you know the realities of getting a, a man-made spacecraft back to Earth. That's all cut out of, of the of the film. We start with a haystack, with young lovers, and. They panic when a rocket comes. He dives to the floor. He shouts, Maggie, get down. She says, bugger that, and just runs to a farmhouse, which is probably wise.
2: I believe it's actually meant to be her father's house.
1: Oh, is it? Okay, right. Yeah. That was quite close. That was quite close to where they were. I quite like this, in the sense that they clearly thought, we're going to do the alien's landing thing, and then spin the rocket ship as a twist on that. It's like oh, it's not a meteorite or an alien, it's a rocket ship. But unlike, yeah, and unlike the, um, the, the TV serial, again, where it's like trying to be realistic in like, you know, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 three sta- the three stages of uh, aqu- how that craft would land. Here we have a huge 50s sci-fi like rocket, rocket, rocket yeah. stuck phallically yeah. into Jim the rocket, ground. Yeah. Upside down. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: yeah, it's very shiny. And uh, uh, as you said, John, the, it lands just perfectly so that the door is accessible from ground level.
1: <laughs> Even though it's even though it's upside down, yeah. that's, that's that's And that's, the that's rocket is
2: com- apparently completely undamaged by hitting the ground at some. some yeah, it big. just buries. That's yeah. that's a that's <laughs> a that's a a well-made thing a as well. Good design.
1: And then uh, it's, it's very sort of made for an audience of World War Two, isn't it? Because you know, mm. emergency services are arriving. People are people are interested. And then the British Rocket Group, or the British uh, Is it an American, the rocket British group, American, an American Rocket, rocket Group, group yes. turn up in a VW campervan. Yes. Absolutely. so we've got all the, we've got like emergency vehicles like you know like, there's, there's the ambulance there's a fire brigade oh it's getting serious oh it's an emergency and then some hippies turn up in a German camper in a German in a German camper and they have to do that's that so British though. it is yeah <laughs> so but, but they have to do all that quick info dump of like all that thing that was in the TV serial they've got to info dump that quickly in, in 10 seconds flat yes. with um, Blake who's the civil servant saying yes. like oh like we, uh, I can't believe you did that <laughs> His, no, is uh, it, yeah? Hammer, yes. And them saying, "Ah, oh, I can't believe really, what we're we doing. Come on, yeah, we had we had to get this rocket down now." But the first thing you notice is that Quatermass like talks and acts like a gumshoe rather than a scientist. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you
0: know, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, or, or, or even a gangster.
1: He's basically yes. playing an angry
2: detective, which is what yeah. Brian Donlevy's stock in trade was. So,
1: but how much of that is? I mean, you said Richard Landau was known for doing sort of, yeah. Um, Noir, in whatever genre he was doing, he'd write a noir film. Mm. Um, <laughs> was that him, or was that are they adapting the script for for, for Don Levy? I,
2: I think they probably are adapting for Don Levy because uh, Val Guest, certainly much of what you see on screen is Val Guest's rewrite of okay, right. the Landau script. And in the subsequent film, it's Val Guest rewriting Nigel Neal's first draft. Um, And so Vale Guest is one of the few people who actually quite likes Brian Donlevy
1: in the role. Um, Well, that's handy as he as he was the director
2: because he felt it grounded it uh, and it gave it a sense of realism. uh, Because (laughs) he, he, I think Vale Guest, like like a a number of directors of of the time, wasn't terribly keen on on sort of effete scientists, and he liked to kind of man's man, and that is very much the Brian Donlevy take. (laughs) on
1: quite mass where he wants to find an alien and punch it basically i want to find out like where bernard is a professor of where is he an academic Well, chair? he's not
2: a professor in this he's a doctor if you notice he's he's oh, been is he? demoted Old. yeah he is doctor Quatermass. And, and
0: does anybody ever call him um bernard in the film no oh goodness no no, no. he's just quadrants. i think he would arm
2: wrestle them to the ground or something um yeah Yes, uh, and it is one of the the fascinating elements of, of all of, of the various certainly early Quatermasses is like how do you pronounce Quatermass? Because the B, the original BBC series seems to be very much Quatermass, and to Don Levy it's Quatermus, and then I think it's actually the actress playing Mrs. Caroon. Uh, who, oh uh Dean. Marjorie Dean yes another you American say act- actress a- yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I wouldn't uh, I, I can, I should, can oh, But she's the one who I, I think is the first one who busts out quite a mass and so it's quite variable throughout the production of, of how he is what he is referred to
1: and by whom the thing that i took most from the these early scenes was that there's a bit with is it Blake the the civil servant guy yes, the, guy, yeah, the yeah. guy the guy from the mod yes. when they're standing in front in front of the rocket And he says, like, you launched that rocket without waiting for official sanction. And Quatermass says, if we all wait for official sanction, we'll be standing still. So the idea is not only is this highly experimental rocket with three people on board it part of some major, you know, at the absolute cutting edge of technology and and of British American aeronautics, but that he just... he just went ahead and did it on his own. Yes, it's like yeah,
0: you know, right, I don't absolutely. need to. I
1: don't need to wait for official sanctions. It's, it's
0: very much he's kind of he's kind of a maverick, isn't he? Yeah. Who well, it's, it's like he won't listen he's, to anybody.
1: He's Mark Francois's idea of of what a scientist should be. I don't need health and safety crap. I'll just go yeah. ahead and do it, it. it's
0: very
2: much the the those pencil pushers <laughs> down at City yes. Hall. Uh, yeah, who who don't get it, and he is going to launch the damn rocket, you know, one way or another.
1: I like to call his uh, his his adaptation. I wrote here it's more erg than brg. <laughs>
0: <laughs> fair point but I mean I mean so the bit where he goes, you can't open that rocket it'll burn them alive the heat of it the, the oh, superheated air will kill them all instantly and then they hear the tapping inside and then the tapping stops and then he's like alright open the rocket and they're like didn't you just say that the superheated air would kill them instead he's like, there's no time to waste
1: yeah but he, think- he goes from two minutes from like I, I, whatever you do don't touch the rocket to get them out now And he's like, but you just said never mind yeah. what I just said let's get them out how does anyone trust this guy <laughs> it's like contradicts himself he, you're is, making this up as you go worst. along you mad bastard he is
0: absolutely the worst, isn't
1: I, it I, I also like when they when uh, they do start hosing the rocket down. It's as the door opens. So basically, what they do is they just hose Karoon as, as he opens the yeah. door. Just, <laughs> funny. No, don't do that. As the scientist as well. As he stumbles onto the Brayback lot. So Karoon, they they eventually the the rocket opens and a scientist or sorry an astronaut Victor Karoon Victor and stumbles out. They they go in to have a look at. Uh, uh, you know, what the, st- what the state of it is. Karun's clearly in shock, he can't really talk, I think. But Quatermass and his uh, his assistant, is it Marsh? Marsh. Marsh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, they find that the inside of, of, of the rocket is empty, but that the spacesuits of the other two astronauts that should be there are completely intact. Mm. Which
2: is, is sort of a very key point in the uh, extant episodes of the serial, but is literally one line of dialogue. Oh, the spade suits and they're still connected.
1: Well yeah, but in the in the serial they have the whole thing about the undergarments, yes, the spaces and the internal, fit fit absolutely. together. Mm. And they try and make it so that there's no way that this could like be just be taken off. Mm, absolutely. But they're all together mm. and empty, which is which is mm. impossible. But yeah, it's it's brushed over a lot more in the the driving mm. audience didn't care. No, but was this as much for, 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 for British audiences or uh, I mean
2: it absolutely was, but um yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 nature of a Hammer production was it was going to be. I mean, the film I think is eighty-two minutes. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's it's, a short it's film, isn't it? Versus six hours uh, versus sorry, three hours. Um, yeah. So you know, there is there's a lot to uh, to trim. Some of which I actually think is, is trimmed very very sensibly. Um, I mean, there there is a certain when you're doing a shortish sci-fi effectively be picture you want to get straight to the rockets landed and something weird's come out
1: it's true and i suppose and having established the fact that they the other two astronauts are missing yeah. and their spacesuits are there sure. is enough to then yeah. just i say, mean effectively
2: that's i think the first episode of the serial it takes place in about four minutes on screen yeah yeah, yeah um
1: so they take Karun to uh, the office of the the medical um the head of the, the,
2: the medical center
1: at the british american rocket group yeah run by a uh, doctor dr briscoe mm-hmm because they say that yeah you know, there's no point in taking him to a hospital because you know, they won't know how to evaluate or treat the first well like.
2: well no one says that except Quatermass oh, okay, he's quite right. adamant that if they take him to a hospital it will be terrible uh, despite the fact that the medical professional caring for
1: him and his wife are really quite keen that he should go to the hospital <laughs> but uh, this but isn't the first time you'll see you'll see Quatermass just going around imposing his will yeah absolutely um, on a, any situation yeah, regardless
2: but actually, it's worth mentioning. Um, so, Richard Wordsworth, who in this version plays Karun, uh, um, really is superb. I, yeah. I think, whilst thus far we have concentrated a lot on Don Levy and how bad he is, uh, very justifiably so. I think the rest of the cast, generally, for the versions of the characters they're playing in the film version, are absolutely terrific. Uh, Richard Wordsworth is, I mean, he, he really is. He superb. has
1: next to no lines. Yeah. And he carries the entire performance in a strangely but effectively almost restrained way. He yep. isn't he isn't wild, he no, isn't, not isn't, at all. Isn't wild. And as as the film progresses and as, he, as the the alien possession um, takes hold, there's, there's there's something very restrained about him. Yep. Yeah. So they take him to back to like the medical center back mm-hmm. at back at the Rocky Group, and they they're doing these tests on him. And I don't know about you, Howard, but. If you watch John Pertwee's first first Doctor Who story, you go, "Oh, yeah, they just, yeah, they, it reminded me of that." Yeah, actually. they just they. Uh, it's, this won't be the first time you watch you, that you watch this film and spot where seventies Doctor Who nicked wholesale bits <laughs> bits, of, bits of bits 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 of the plot. But also, this is uh, around this time is where you get introduced to Inspector Lomax, who's. This is Jack Warner, but just before he becomes Dixon of Dot Green, but yes. he's effectively playing, like... Well, very much uh, so. And he's
0: my favourite character in oh, this he's, version. He's great. He, he, he you know, he, he's just great. When he turns up and he says, look, we could be at war, or you could come over to my side, but, you know, I'm not proud. I'm coming over to your side. I'm helping you. I just thought... Yeah, I'm
2: with this guy. I'm with him. Something that you see a lot in certainly Hammer films of this period is little bits of comedy which I think don't necessarily play out or certainly not in the same way in in the TV serial or the the remaining parts Mm. of it. And that is something that you do see, you know, if you look at like, Curse of Frankenstein, the famous Past the Marmalade, uh, and those sort of little bits and pieces. And he is very much, although a very important character, he's kind of the comedy MVP of this movie, because he's introduced in the scene where his deputy comes in, and he's like, have you got it? And it's sort of something terribly serious. And he's actually gone to find the wire for his electric razor.
1: Um, there's a running joke about he can never finish shaving, yes, isn't exactly. there? Yeah, the, the, the whole um, thing. There's no there's a later bit where he's trying to shave and he gets a phone call from and his and his wife says he's not even staying for your tea and he run, he, he runs out. Uh, isn't
2: absolutely. Um, and so yeah, his performance is very kind of twinkly and, and really great fun, uh, which is a nice leavening of, of the dynamic because Don Levy is so angry and so awful the whole time.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah I think it's an, uh, an obvious contrast to have to have someone likable but another sort of slight uh, a very subtle theme they have running through he he describes himself to Quatermass as a simple bible man yes which, given the the climax of the story, and like the idea of you know like gentle Church of England. I mean, if now you describe this as a simple Bible man, you'll 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 raise eyebrows and start thinking backing away yes, slowly. Mm. Um, but here it's just seen as I mean as a, a modicum of small C conservatism and practicality. And yes, like, absolutely, you know, and in against the, uh, the the dangerous science of mm. of mass. But the other thing I thought as they as they introduce both this character the character of Lomax and, and the Strand. And this, th- the strand of the investigation, is just the idea of there being just a bog standard police investigation yes. into into missing scientists when they've just when they, they've literally disappeared in space. Yes. That, what like the idea now that you know Roswell will be will be will be investigated by the local coppers? Oh, uh, absolutely, is this seems utterly, if not bizarre, then sort of charmingly naive. We're yes. just we're, we're just treating this down the line as a, a basic normal British. <laughs> Police and police investigation, which involve which just happens to involve um, alien possession <laughs> because in when we cut back to the the investigation of, of the of the scientists into the rocket, they find uh, a strange organic material inside inside the wall cavity and there's that bit oh, where yeah, the goop. yeah but there's that bit where like they they initially thought they couldn't process the the film that was in the camera and then marsh went oh i had a word in the yeah, other they could do that and then quatermass is shouting well get it done get it done now and get it's like me the best lab processing guy
0: in
2: the country and i'm like yeah. is that a thing sorry, i
0: just did yeah and it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. sorry yeah i actually did yeah no, what that, we're doing
1: uh, at what sorry, po- what is your problem, quite a mess? At what point was I? You know, I wasn't going to do that. I was I'm you know, just going to take, take it to boots. Yeah, I'm just just going to sit on it. But they, when they watch the um, the tape, or sorry, the film uh, of, um, of 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 the crew in their in their last moments before you see them, there's um, there's that lovely bit where they it's it's done quite a distance. So you're you're, you're watching people watching footage so you're one you're one place removed but they have that sort of w- the wall walking bit from karoon don't they it's, yes it's, it's like lo- it's it's lovely it's 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 really effective mm. uh, it's it's so simple but it's it's a, clearly a lot of times go into it but then you see that yeah there's a nightmare they do sort of star trek acting of like yes, so, yeah, some yeah. things hit them yes. uh, and then two of them disappear and yeah there is
2: there's a there's a, a fascinating little shot in there um which i only noticed watching it Rewatching it this time to talk to you guys, when Karun leans down to whichever one has collapsed across the kind of uh, zero g couch, and he sort of goes to kind of tap on his back and realizes there's nothing in the suit, which I thought was kind of a, kind of a nice little touch because the suit at that point is already empty. Yeah, and he kind of presses between the marvelous 1950s giant metal shoulder pads, and there's just kind of nothing there. And it's a, yeah, it's a neat little moment, but it's it's very effective. That whole sequence is very effective, I think, because Don Levy isn't actually talking.
1: That's good. Yeah, you you get to see something play out rather
2: than well. It's yeah. one of the few scenes Donovans shouting at anyone. Yes. He, he, he's, he's watching angrily, but he is quiet.
3: I don't know much about rockets or travelling in space. I don't read science fiction. I'm a plain simple Bible man. I have a routine mind and have to do routine things, such as fingerprinting an unconscious man. When three men take off in a rocket and only one comes back, in our reckoning that leaves minus two, and minus two puts us in the embarrassing position of having to investigate plus one, whether he's conscious, unconscious, or a gibbering idiot. Fine. I think I can save you a lot of time, Inspector, with your so-called investigation. I have here the particulars on all three members of the crew. Charles Green, Ludwig Reichenheim, Victor Karoon. You'll find everything there, Inspector. Medical histories, personal description, academic achievements, professional activities, politics, and even fingerprints. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you. There's only one investigation likely to serve any good purpose in this situation, Inspector. That's a scientific one.
1: I think it's hard um, for us as viewers now to empathise with audiences in 1955 um, with just how uh, primitive the space program was. Now, not just you know the fictitious British American Rocket Group sending the first astronauts into space. Kagarin hasn't gone yet, let alone mm. you know, we're we're 14 years from, from the moon landing. It's hard to imagine just how. Unknown and what a, what a blank canvas space there yeah. uh, was, which is almost impossible to recreate now because, you know, it's like, um, I know, Lovecraft's at the Mountains of Madness. Sure. The, the idea once you know, once Antarctica's been fully, fully mapped, mm. uh, you can never recreate the weirdness of, of the unknown and then whatever horror you want to paint into. Sure. Um, the, the real unknown. The creeping unknown. The creeping, the creeping unknown. But it, but it slithers. It <laughs> slivers more than more than creeps. But eventually, they do. Uh, Judith Caroon, eventually, the wife of Victor, who I forget in the film, does she work for Quatermass as no. well? No, she doesn't. In uh, the TV series, she works She Quatermass. does. She's, she's, on the, she's a, on yeah. the, the
2: closest assistant, and is having an affair with.
1: Oh, that's right. She's having an affair with the doctor. Yes. Yeah. which is completely
2: jettisoned. I assume for time. It, it is a shame because she essentially just becomes the slightly
1: hysterical wife. um, Who screws everything up later and then conveniently disappears halfway halfway through through the story. But she insists that he's taken to a hospital, but then she tries to break him out of the hospital. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting,
1: actually, because I don't think... there's,
2: There's no kind of sense that her grand scheme was she wanted to move him to a hospital so that she had the access to get him out. It just seems like a bit of an afterthought. Like, I want to take him home, and he's under guard by a sort of... A, a late night male nurse played by Barry Lowe, who is one of the kind of regular hammer actors that you see turn up a lot. So she hires this guy, a sort of a, a bit of a spiv, Christy, played by Harold Lang, who's one of those actors who only ever played a bit of a spiv. And he has to go in undercover as, a, as an orderly or actually as another male nurse to, um, to spirit Karoon out of, out of the hospital. Yes. And, and again, that's, mu- that's kind of played for laughs. And I think you know some of that is a little bit of the Hammer style. I think some of it is Val Guest sort of you know his general tone is even with serious material there are kind of bits you know characters and lines that are generally sort of fa- fairly comic.
4: Well,
0: I mean it's played for laughs, and then it really isn't. I mean, yes. actually the 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 big the big shock reveal when the nurse finds the guy's corpse in the lift,
1: mm. it
0: is. Actually I could imagine that in nineteen fifty five being genuinely frightening. Mm. Even I said holy shit out loud while I was watching it. Yeah. Because it's just up to this point we haven't had anything like that. Yeah. And I'd... then suddenly there is this mutilated corpse on the floor.
1: That's that is genuinely shocking, but something that surprised me just before yeah. that is when he gets is when the orderly gets Karoon up and Karoon starts fixating on the cactus. And then you don't see it because it's out of shot. But essentially, Karun puts his hand like into the cactus, I
2: mean, and in Wordsworth's performance, you get the sense that's like excruciatingly yeah, painful.
1: Painful, yes. Which made me feel does he does he feel a bit of a prick? <laughs> oh, unbelievable! I've been I've been waiting oh, I've been waiting to do that for. Did you have that so, written down? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was that was doing a panel as well. So, despite the fact he's dead, that that doesn't really like Judith never really notices notices that, and she spirits mm. her spirits her husband away. Her husband's with his giant mutated hand that he's that he's, that he's mm. covering.
2: And uh, interesting and somewhat of a shame that what we have left of the TV serial kind of runs up to just before that. So, yes. the, the more horrific aspects of of the serial, and we and you kind of know from later serials that they the BBC controversially did not shy away from some of the more uh, gruesome aspects but we can't kind of compare except in written form what appeared in the serial versus what appeared in the film and obviously Hammer had embraced the idea that this was an X certificate film no one under 16 will be admitted you know it's right there in the title so for 1955 they are really pushing the envelope
0: and you can with, see that. Yeah. You
2: really can. And, you know, as with pretty much everything Hammer did from this point onwards, had tremendous battles with the BBFC over exactly how many frames of Phil Leakey's makeup of a guy with his face half-dissolved and bone structure showing they could get away with before the examiners uh, had a hissy fit and um, declared them all to be psychopaths. I think it's a PG now. It is. Well, con- context is all now. It is,
1: We've moved on <laughs> six, 60-odd years. For sure. So Karun runs out of his wife's car, leaving her a screaming mad wreck. But Quatermass and Briscoe um, take what they've found in the rocket and they... Well, they make a huge, very accurate leap <laughs> in terms... Uh, which yeah, is, ridiculously
0: yeah, accurate.
4: Yeah. Leap, <laughs> seriously. They, they've ridiculous, already, yeah, they've yeah, already they watched they the Quatermass, watch Quatermass experiment
1: yeah. on, 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 on the BBC. So they... Determine that what they've recovered is basically dead human cells. Mm. So that from seeing the video, or so the film, that something's entered the ship... That there's, what if there's some form of life in space, not on some planet just drifting? Lots of Doctor Who fans screaming, The Great Intelligence, or something else <laughs> that's, that's just been nicked wholesale from Quatermass. It's dissolved uh, the other two astronauts. Are they?
2: Yes, Green and Professor Reichenheim. Professor Reichenheim. Uh, who have even
1: less to do in this version than the BBC. They <laughs> do. Yes. And then whatever it is has possessed Karun, and he's slowly changing into whatever this entity is. It's basically making stuff up as info dump. It's just, yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. Which you could probably get away with if it wasn't Brian Donlevy. Yeah, if you Like Peter Cushing could deliver that stuff like he just thought of it and you kind of don't worry about the fact that that's a huge intuitive leap about vampires or reanimating
1: dead corpses. But Brian Donlevy is no Peter Cushing. No, I suppose in those sort of films, it's established that Van Helsing or, or whoever is is, is well versed in what he's what he's speaking about already. Is yes, his yes. written books. Whereas Don Devy's gone around shouting and imposing his will yeah. like a '50s Rob Reiner yes. in yes. anti-smoking, uh, yeah. <laughs> either wearing
2: his hat or his toupee.
0: <laughs> yes, The well, why
2: he wears his hat a lot because he didn't like his toupee that much.
1: Right. <laughs> so uh, the inspector Lomax he instigates a, a hunt for Karun who's who's on the run and Karun decides to go to the chemist yes. uh,
0: he goes to the chemist to try to top himself
1: does he so- or
0: is, is it or, or is it the chemist who... I don't know. Well, so, yeah, that's a, it's a little unclear.
2: I think the inference is that he's trying to find something that will kill him, but then when the chemist actually challenges him, he makes pretty short work of, uh, of the poor guy. That's actually a, a, a very... Um, I think that's one of the most affecting scenes in the film because initially the the chemist is you know you can't go in there you can't do that what are you doing and then when he realizes that Karun is suffering and clearly injured and he says um there's the wonderful exchange where he's sort of you know let, let me see I'm not going to hurt it you know and he's, he's incredibly compassionate and for that he's essentially killed and has most of his bodily fluids drawn out through his face <laughs> um which seems a little unfair um,
0: yeah w- that, that that is though an ex you know one of one of like the quintessential themes of horror are when someone sure. actually gets themselves killed by being good
1: yes yeah that's 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 through very goodness
0: true. and compassion and it gets you killed and mm. that's you know effective horror right mm. there
1: absolutely i like when the police turn up the next day there's there's a line early on in the scene where they're they're searching the the chemist and they just says there's no sign of the chemist. And then literally 30 seconds later, they notice a bit of the chemist's jacket under the big door. <laughs> yes. Which they open the big door and the dead chemist falls out. When you say there's no sign of the chemist, and you literally, literally looked anywhere... But Didn't really look. No. Yeah. But it's notable that throughout that scene and a little bit afterwards as well, Briscoe, the, the Doctor, is doing a lot of the actual development work. Yes. And Quatermass is, is asking questions. Mm-hmm. And with Lomax being sort of, sort of earnest, you've got the triumvirate of main characters in Quatermass, Lomax and Bristow, You've got the head with Bristow, the heart with, with Lomax. And, and the quite,
0: mouth with Quatermass. And Mascula. what's
1: Quatermass... Yeah, he's, exactly. He's just going around shouting at people. The and, impotent rage. Yes. And at what point are we not just treating him like a villain? Yeah, well, he's, absolutely. Yeah, and that will go on. So Quatermass theorises from from all that that whether or not he he's taken chemicals to either kill himself or speed up the process. Mm. Um, but then we go to what we turn out to be Deptford. It's one of those effective... A Deptford manhunt. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a <laughs> let's have a Deptford manhunt. manhunt. I saw them at the Bull and Gate once. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's my favorite, <laughs> it's one of those sequences that can be anything of from post war Britain up until mm-hmm. the, the late 80s of, of London Wasteland. Yes, you can like you can do this in the 50s, it's being done throughout the 70s, it's being done as late as. American Wolf in London yeah, whatever in central London and wastelands but you've got yeah, you've got a wasteland near the river uh, an abandoned a, barge an abandoned barge and a lone young child with a doll
2: yes Jane Asher
1: Jane Asher um, yes and the curious thing here is that I didn't think that Karun was really going to kill the little girl because it mirrors that Frankenstein scene where mm. the only person who's nice to him, who, does, who doesn't see him as ugly or weird because there's less context than there is with, the say, the blind guy in, sure. in, in, um, in, in Frankenstein. So I didn't think there was any danger of her dying. But that kid, she's playing on her own, and they try to make it not weird because she's talking to the <laughs> doll and yes. she's saying, oh, I don't want to play with all the other kids because all they do is talk about their new dresses and their dolls. But she's talking to a doll.
0: <laughs> she's talking to a knackered old doll, though. Yeah, I, th- I think the inference is of, that you she's, know.
1: she's kind of being uh, ostracised because she's poor. Oh, God, we're going to bring class yeah. into this, aren't we? <laughs> Howard's now going to find a reason to write a paper on class based around the little girl in the Quatermass experiment and why none of the other kids will play with her because she's poor. <laughs> is that going to happen, Howard? Uh no. we're not going to go on about class
0: uh, maybe maybe a bit later on I've just well, had to throw to away to three pages team. of notes now okay, yeah. you know, I'm, no, I'm, no, I was kind of glad I was proud of myself for having spotted that it was Jane Asher mm. I was like you know she's got a cake there's a <laughs> Nigel Neal right. connection but it it's Jade Asher.
2: It is actually fascinating, something you picked up on there. So that scene really is all but a direct lift from James Orwell's Frankenstein. And when you think the ultimate kind of genesis of the success that Hammer had with the Quatermass Mass Experiment, which is effectively their first horror film. Was ultimately the Curse of Frankenstein. They wanted to recreate the universal um, universal horrors. But I don't think at that point, when they're doing Quatermass, they had that in mind. I mean, the 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 genesis of what became the Curse of Frankenstein was around for a while. I think it even possibly predated Quatermass Experiment in the sort of script terms. But I can't imagine that anyone making the Quatermass Experiment had that in their mind. But it is a fascinating through line, a sort of unintentional through line from effectively the first horror movie to what then became the great resurgence in gothic horror, mm. Hammer.
1: I was even more shocked when they sort of see like, you know, there's a mother complaining because her kid's been upset because her, mm. her horrible, smashed up, horrible doll has been smashed up horribly even more by something even more horrible. <laughs> Um and they have like been reported to the police, so that's immediately been reported it we'll back to Lomax. Of course. And there's like there's talk about, you know, worries about molesting kids. That's mm. like that's that's on the button Yeah, the or maybe it's them. a
4: child molester. Maybe it's a
1: child molester. Yeah. So we've got urban wastelands, children playing outside, there's no health and safety considerations, and an obsession with paedophiles. This is basically UKIPville. <laughs> We've gone from Mark To Clark, be and he fair, is from
2: outside the UK. He is from outside the UK, true, so, yes.
1: He's he, um, he's the ultimate immigrant, yeah, he's absolutely. Not, even, not even from the planet. Yeah. Go on, what to be fair,
0: <laughs> To be fair, Nigel Neal Neill, cat, and I appreciate he didn't write the script for this. But Nigel Neil does have a thing that if he doesn't consciously keep it in check, there is a bit of the old guy shaking his fist at clouds in his stuff. You see that particularly in the final Quayamass. Hmm. You know, and that's bloody
1: that's, hippies. That's a
0: Nigel <laughs> Neil thing. Sorry, you know. what
1: were we talking about? I was just, I was just, sorry, I just randomly, randomly going off on.
2: Well, those guys in the VW bus from earlier. In yeah, the, they're they're like the VW, VW
1: bus. Yeah, that's the, that's true. He doesn't like young people, does he?
2: Well, there aren't really any young no. people in this. Uh, but there's a couple at the apart beginning. Apart from really. Jane Asher and the clearly up to no good young couple in the hayloft just outside her dad's farm.
1: Who were nearly killed by a giant phallus.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. No
1: subtext there
0: whatsoever. Yeah, no, no subtext no. whatsoever, yeah.
1: So let's go to the zoo. Oh. Because we then we cut to like the zookeeper locking up for the night. Who appears to be the only zookeeper for just a, a random menagerie <laughs> for, all, for all of London Zoo. And yes. I've never really thought about this. Are zoos unmanned overnight? Uh yeah, absolutely. The animals can fend for themselves. It's fine. Well they're locked up, I'd appreciate that, but they're just like there's no one <laughs> looking up. There's like no one, there's no security guard. You just lock them and and, and they go. And this yeah. and then barely visible amongst shadowy bushes is um is whatever Karoon has has become the, we, the last time you see any kind of human features uh, on Karoon? He's peering out of, out of the bushes, and then he goes and either murders or eats seemingly all the animals in the zoo. Yeah,
2: yeah, which what is interesting because there's a there's kind of the inference that the the sort of the final the final level boss version of Karoon has come from the fusion of three astronauts and a cactus. And then presumably a bunch of zoo animals. A, a bunch of zoo animals, but that's not
1: really then. Did he eat an octopus?
2: Possibly. Because tripe. he looks quite some like a,
1: he looks quite like an octopus at the, <laughs> at, the, at, the at the end. <laughs>
2: It's interesting, but yeah, and it's and that sequence I think actually is extremely effective. Um, it's quite long. It was cut down in the U.S. prints of, of the sort of stalking of the zoo animals, yeah. but I do think it's and it's, it's quite sinister. In, it's not a long film. No, no, no. no. They cut that sequence. Even... They cut at least one cutaway to. I think the chemist's face is, is missing from the, the U.S. prints. Oh, it's missing, missing. Yeah, right. it's, it, not, it, it's not. It's in the for rating reasons.
1: Right, as well. Um, which is a rare
2: case of the U.K at that time getting something gorier than the US. Well, mm. but, but then Hammer
1: always pushed against the boundaries of, of, what, of what they could yeah. get away with it. and sometimes yes. it was defying the, the BBFC. And then Briss goes into the bushes after this when they, once they, again they're investigating the devastation and there's this person going, oh sorry the zoo's closed today. Will it be open this afternoon? And you're thinking, it's not going to be open this afternoon. I mean we could, but there's not a lot to see yeah. in fairness. Corpses. Um,
2: yeah. Do you like cages? We yeah. got, we've got cages. <laughs>
1: so Briscoe can't remember why but he he follows a trail or something so,
2: sorry what, what's the line the, the woman the sort of uh, the extra playing the, the mother and she says we come all the way from somewhere like Hastings or yeah, somewhere
0: yeah exactly like, yeah, yeah. we came all the way from Hastings yeah, it may not yes. be Hastings but somewhere yeah, like, yeah it's,
1: yeah the self-importance of but you've got (laughs) but you've got to let me in for whatever reason because of the distance i've traveled to be here as well but anyway briscoe goes into the bushes and finds something at this point you don't see what it is it's just like that it might be alive but it's not big, mm. but you never see, and they're looking at it, and they're a bit disconcerted, mm. and they take it back to the laboratory. Yes. And it looks like an angry nan. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It's an angry nan that eats mice. Yes. Because you see it, it's like it's, there's one mouse left, and then they get a call, don't they, and then they leave. Mm. But they've got the angry nan locked in a box. Yes. That'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Yes, that maybe, totally won't escape. Maybe someone want to have a look at that? Yeah. No.
2: I mean, in fair, you know, these special effects are the cutting edge of Noble. Oh, sure, yeah. It's, it's, and uh, the sort of legendary uh, hammer effects guy, Les Bowie, does do pretty well with. Whatever that is, it's certainly the, the final monster to jump ahead is made of trite. That may also well. There's be. a
1: close up of a of an actual octopus, though, isn't there? Uh, isn't there? No,
2: I don't think so. I think really? That's all, I, think that, I think that is all Les Bowie's. Oh, really? That's that's very effective. ...trite construction. Me? Oh, okay. Um, wow. And, uh, so yeah, certainly the uh, angry non escapes that it, it does have a sort of slightly visible wire at one point on the Blu-ray version, but um,
1: we'll, but it we'll, is we'll 1955. Uh, but there's there's another of those huge leaps, isn't there? Yes. When they're when they're examining the nan, because they decide or just guess correctly that it's that this gestalt life form that's just dropped off, whatever Karoon's become, will eventually be replicated all over the world by Karoon's creature. Mm. Brian Dunlevy starts yelling about spores. Yeah. Spores. That's a yeah. He, it'll start sporing. There
4: we are. La-da-dee. There's just the two of us today. We'll have our own tea party. I don't like those other girls anyway. All they do is talk about their new clothes and dolls. You don't care about those things, do you? You don't care about new clothes or anything. We're friends. You sit there and be a good girl while I make the tea. The others never serve anything, but we do. Look, aren't they lovely? Don't be frightened. That's only the old rats that live in this old boat. Now, tea is ready. Sugar? One, two, all right. Now we may have a cake. This one, it's filled with cherries. But anyway, I like the other one because it's full of chocolate. you were rats. Won't you stay and have tea with us? We'd very much like you to stay. And you look so tired. There's plenty if that's what you're worried about. And cakes, too. Go on, Dolly, you ask him. Please, won't you have tea and cakes with us? Don't be frightened. We would like you to stay very much. And you may have the cake that has all the chocolate inside.
0: Dolly. Do you know what this, this film reminded me of? All of 70s I, Doctor Who? <laughs> well, that, but actually, in terms of like um, childhood memories that it, it got dredging up, was an issue of the comic Scream, which I don't know if either of you are quite old enough to remember
1: Scream, no. but. scream Scream, it only ran for
0: 14 issues and then it got merged into eagle and scream was genuinely frightening it was a kid's comic that was just like really horrible but there's a story about a kid who picks up a meteorite and it burns him and then he discovers that everything that he touches gets covered with kind of like tentacles and and foliage and stuff Mm. whatever he touches and eventually it ends with his mum coming home and he doesn't know what to do, and he gives his mum a hug. And yeah. the final image is just really disturbing <laughs> really genuinely disturbing because you see, like, the mum's corpse all completely kind of like yeah. almost crucified on tentacles and stuff. And for some reason, I was reminded of that by this sort of mm. story.
2: It sounds like a, there's a, definitely a, an old Tales from the Crypt. Yes. That, that does kind of very similar story because uh, in the uh, George Romero tells from the Crick movie, that's the the section that features Stephen King in his. Uh, was it like a bloke turning in, turning into a vegetable? Yes.
1: Oh yeah. Was that yeah. on TV course, yeah. after Ghostwatch in '92? It may well have been because I remember I, I couldn't sleep after Ghostwatch in '92. I was very young, honestly.
0: Yes, it yeah. was because I remember recording it. Yeah, after and Ghostwatch I and I remember 92.
1: staying up and watching telly and then watching that, mm. and that didn't help. I can remember remember Leslie Nielsen drowning.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, That is um, indeed the Tales from the Crypt movie, which is very good apart from that Stephen King sequence. Right. Because Stephen King may rival Brian Donlevy as a horrible horrible actor
1: yeah
0: he's it's, it's not the only time he's been on film he's no. sometimes he's
1: in, Pe- he's in the original in pet Cemetery, of- isn't he he's the priest he is indeed yeah, yeah he is and
0: he's in uh, maximum overdrive brief- briefly as well uh, which he directed
1: god. god he did didn't he yeah
2: uh, yeah at the height of his raging alcoholism and boy can you tell wow
1: talking of raging alcoholism thora heard
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh isn't she great
1: though uh, but here we sort of we touch on one of the major differences when this script is done in comparison with the TV serial, which isn't scripted by Nigel Neal. For a lot of what could be considered padding in the TV serial, and on the flip side, could be considered fleshing out the real world in which these events take place, Nigel Neal is really, really good at doing the minutiae between ordinary characters yes very and much not so. not making them caricatures now a film as a different beast we have much we have much less time we have to do broader brushstrokes so we have drunk for a herd coming into a police station to say she's seen something horrible on the street and
0: and, it, and she's very much a cartoon character it's very hilarious yeah, it's very much played for laughs but you it, know it's it's you mean it's not a halloo hello hello a gin goblin a goblin,
1: yeah, and and but the fact she's genuinely disturbed by that because she assumes even though she's gone to the police, she's even more disturbed when they think yeah. no, you might be it might be real mm. the horrible the horrible thing you saw, and I find that I find that quite a, quite quite upsetting. Mm. I was quite cheered up by the fact that it's established that Thorahurd's vagrant is um, is uh, sleeping at the Salvation Army because that made me think yeah. that this could be a prequel to Hallelujah. Her her eighties comedy series where she's where she's a captain in the Salvation Army, which would, which 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 would make which would make TV or oh, sorry film Hammer canon in the Hallelujah. Um.
2: <laughs> Sadly, the uh, the Hammer films were not part of a Marvel style extended universe.
1: Shortly, but not least not least with Northern comedies Indeed. of the of the of the yes. uh, of the eighties.
2: Yes, Frankenstein, and that's your funeral. were <laughs> Part of the same universe.
1: But it's—I mean, it's—it just shows that the, it's the film lacks, I think, uh, certainly even in the, the the early scenes, the sort of humour of the press crowd or the or, yeah. or the or the people whose houses have been smashed up. It's out. a
2: very—it's a very different kind of humour. Yeah.
1: Um, it's more yeah. caricatured. It's—it's more—it's more, it's yes. more book Yeah. It, it,
2: it's not. It's not broad because of the type of film it is. You know, it's not what we would think of necessarily as broad comedy, but it is much broader than what Neil is doing. Um, <coughs> they are thumbnail sketches for amusing effect, but and also to move the plot along a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly, uh, you know, the, the um, it, it, really the key ones are Heard's character and and uh, Christie as the, uh, the the guy who comically doesn't want to have to flirt with a male nurse as he's spiriting Caroon from the hospital. Mm. Um, You know, and and, uh, those
1: are definitely played for for yucks. So we find that the thing that Caroon has become has gone to Westminster Abbey. Do we know why?
2: Uh, It's in the serial?
1: Yeah, (laughs) which clearly was chosen because... No, it was the same year as... The, that was, the serial was, about 53? So mm. it's the same year as the coronation. Yeah. So a place that the, m- many seen as the birth of TV as a, as a mass entertainment device takes place when, when everyone wanted to watch the Queen's coronation. Mm. But is it established within the fiction why, why the creature goes to Westminster?
2: I don't particularly think it is, actually. Um, I mean, there may be some subtext there. Again, you know, the, the, uh, what, is, um, what is Lomax's line...
1: Oh, I'm a simple Bible man. Simple Bible there's, man. The, there's, there's, there's sort of a, 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 an undercurrent with you know, him, him as a as a God fearing man and yes. the, the the creature is eventually cornered in in, yeah. in a, a holy on on holy ground. Sure, um, but
0: also they, they do they do seriously consider blowing place up.
1: Yes, they do. Yeah, I've well, no doubt Don, Don Levy's Mass will have no no compulsion about 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 blowing about blowing Westminster Abbey up. Um, but we start when they with uh, with because they're Gordon Jackson's uh, as a as a producer. Because yes. they're they're filming in Westminster Abbey, aren't they? They are. And indeed. poor Gordon Jackson plays a producer who's who's about to get fired <laughs> because the first like when he the first camera he cuts to is blank. The second camera he cuts to has a dead body, which is possibly the first cameraman. Uh, and then he cuts to the third person, which is the third camera, which is uh, has a yes. has a giant mutant alien yes. on the top of some scaffolding. Can <laughs> up as far
2: as you, as you can, can go, and there is. Uh, Les Bowie's
0: wonderful Tripe Monster.
1: If Mary Whitehouse had the clean-up campaign TV, and, and the fact then, that it's an
0: educational mm-hmm. program about the decor decor of Westminster Abbey as well.
1: Yeah, which yeah. they're filming very very late at night, presumably because it's that, that's when it's quieter. <laughs> uh, but unfortunately, that's when that's when people start people start getting killed. Yeah.
0: And, it, it's a wonder- and of course, it's live as well. Absolutely,
2: and it's a wonderful. Uh, example of the BBC of the 1950s where he sort of basically just tells the studio it's like oh you're just going to have to figure it out.
1: Yeah it is <laughs> well it's I mean you're, you're going sort of cutting edge I mean the idea would be that you know a producer would be expected to you know to mm. to, to to think on his feet in in, yes, in, in, in an emergency. Famously much later the Alexander Palace had to be put into use when the opening night of BBC 2 completely failed mm. he just went right go to a studio in Alexander Palace keep talking. Yes. Yeah. Uh, he has my sympathy. <laughs> so now we have we have a giant tentacled creature, which isn't at all like the Nestine from Doctor Who, um, at the top of some scaffolding. And someone says, "Cool, look at it big." Just because it's a model shot, so you, yep. need, you need some you need some scale with that as well. Yeah. Thank you for telling me. It's 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 a pr- it's, it's a pretty good model shot. Like. Yeah, it is. It's oh the, no, it's it is, is, quite, it is it's it is it nice. is it is it is good. Yeah, as well. Um, and the obvious difference from the TV serial in that in the TV serial Quatermass appeals to the latent humanity of mm. what karoon once once was and it's it's established in that that, that they make a, a bigger thing of him absorbing of Karun absorbing the uh, uh the the characteristics and knowledge mm. and personalities of the other of the other astronauts and he persuades the the creature to to kill itself mm-hmm. rather than spawn and end all life on on earth but that's not Brian Levy, is it?
0: <laughs> no, 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 he, no, he, he no. electrocutes the hell out of the I'm
1: thing. frankly surprised he didn't just punch it to death. Yes. Um, eventually what he does is pretty much blacks out the entire of London and arranges for all the electricity to be channeled through,
4: through one cable. Through one cable. Yeah. Now, I'm
1: thinking, like, I'm, I'm not an expert in this, but there's still, like, it would blow out, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, a re- in fairness, there's a lot of sparking. There, there is a lot. I mean, you, you, you still can't get more <laughs> electricity through the cable than the cable can take. Yeah. Even if you've basically cut to saying, sorry, everyone, we're blacking out the entire of London and, ba- and Battersea Power so, Station has so to shut excellent down. Excellent
2: footage of Battersea Power Station and, and yeah.
1: switches being thrown. Can you, th- can you channel the entire output of, 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 of London electricity through this one cable? Of course. Here? Um, we're which, scientists. Which they then, which they then attach to the uh, to the scaffolding and mm. and make a very big lot of calamari. Yes, no one makes a calamari joke. In fact, no one makes any jokes. Nineteen fifty-five. There was, there, yeah, it's a bit early before we've got um, we've got Italian immigrants making um, yeah. stuffing and stuff in as well. I don't know. Uh, Bedford had like you know the, the brickworks the brick <laughs> that was a lot of Italian workers workers there. They could have it's appre- a bit of a niche audience. They could have appreciated the calamari joke <laughs> when they were watching when they were watching this. I don't know. But, um, yeah, we electrocute the the alien and it dies. And everything's okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and, and quite brilliantly... Well, except not, is it?
2: Quite quite brilliantly, uh, no. ha- having apparently uh, illegally and without official government sanction launched their Experimental rocket that's killed three at least three people, I guess six at that point, and a bunch of and the entire of London Zoo. Um, Quatermass strides
1: angrily out of
2: uh, yeah, pe- Westminster Abbey. People, the, people are saying, like, Oh, good, are we? He
1: ignores completely ignoring everyone, yeah, uh, except Marsh at the, at the end. He just says, like, What, what are you going to do now? Well, I'm going to start up again. And then they have that holy yeah, crap, yeah, and they're bizarre. He just walks away, they're like. There's like a total clusterfuck that's like controlled by you. All this is down to you. And it was And you're
0: gonna uh, do, you do it again.
1: And it was complete and it was unauthorized. Like why why aren't you being arrested? And, At and least fired. He walks down the street and then the next shot you see is a rocket taking off. And I was like, Is that how he got there?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Having already hypothesized that this completely undetectable alien presence that can just randomly absorb people and come back to Earth and cause terrible problems I guess they know how to deal with it now right we, you know, we, 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 as soon the, as it happens when, we're the, when the rocket lands him. you know in, in a sort of controlled fashion we just
1: electrocute everyone on board just to be on the safe side um, I I think it, this would work better if Quatermass was the villain Quatermass is like the is. the is the most dangerous man he on the planet he just like he thinks he knows better than everyone he won't hmm. listen
2: well and, and so something that's very clear in the serial is that Reginald Tate, as quite a quantum mess, is, is plagued by self-doubt because this has all gone horribly wrong. And Brian, Don yeah, and it's not is...
0: his fault. Yes. It's clearly not his fault, mm. and he spends a lot of time wondering if it is his fault.
2: Mm. Whereas Don as Levy, his... Don Levy is is pure self-belief. Is basically carved out of his own sort of super ego, uh, and absolutely will not truck that he's done anything even remotely wrong. Even to the point of yelling at the wife of the one surviving astronaut that she should just be proud that he did something that he was the first man to return to Earth, even though he's now probably dying. Um,
0: yeah, not actually a man anymore. Yes,
2: um, it, it's it's a remarkably anti compassionate take on on a on the
1: character. And given this was the only there's the, the second time you will have seen Quatermass portrayed. Yes. It's, 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 it's quite a leap. Mm. So apart from Don Levy, I think we're agreed that uh, Richard Wordsworth as Caron is fantastic. Yes. yes. Don Levy, less so. <laughs> um, it's a performance. It is. I like David Kingwood as, as Briscoe. Yes. And I learned later he became the Marlborough Man. Ah. Oh. He left uh, Britain to work in, on the stage in America, uh, in the, the late fifties. Mm. Um, I think he later became a teacher, but he's really best known as a model and became, became the marble, oh, became, no. became the marble.
0: Okay. Model. I'm going to, I'm going to throw out there, but I, I think, think if, if this is, this is the reason, is reason that we're quite as down on Don, Don Levy's performance, not at least a little, a little bit unrelated back to, back back to, back back to the fact back back. that we've seen Reginald Tate. It, it's, You know, it's. Well, as I'm saying. We've also seen the other Quatermasters as well. We have a context that a lot of people back then didn't. So that, you know, if you, you know, hadn't tuned in for those particular six weeks a couple of years before, you wouldn't have seen that. So you just have a film Mm -hmm. and you're looking at a different character. You're looking at a different figure. And, you know, if you're willing to buy him as, you know,
1: um as a scientist guy because he's basically
0: a sociopath i
2: mean it's interesting you say that because if you if you listen to any of the the subsequent commentary on this by filmmakers subsequently famous filmmakers uh in the u.s john carpenter for instance specifically john carpenter who uh to him don levy is is the best Quatermass. Because wow. he, you know, that I, that is very much the kind of main character that Carpenter likes. You know, if you look at, you know, Snake Plissken, you look at McCready um, Yeah, but
1: they're not scientists. Um, okay, I I no, uh, I suppose is a scientist. Uh, yeah, he's, but he's, isn't he like a like a, a a driver or a like a a handyman for the scientists? Or is he a is he a computer scientist?
2: I haven't seen the thing for such a long time. Um,
1: like Pliskin certainly is not yeah, it? yeah.
2: Um, so that very much feeds into the the a, and you know there is a a tradition uh, probably slightly before but also subsequently in in b sci-fi in america of of the scientist you know wanting to punch the alien on the jaw so i think it does play into that so i think how you're you're absolutely right that there is uh, the, the, the the and and, and Something that's true about Quatermass is, is he's very much a character whom bears the stamp of whoever's playing him at the time. Yes. Um, you know, Andrew, Andrew Keir's interpretation is sort of brusque and quite doer, much like Andrew Keir. Mm. And André Morel is sort of quite dark but slightly twinkly, much like André Morel. Um, so I think, yeah, I think certainly it, it's a character that that picks up the stamp of the actor playing them, I suspect because... Uh,
1: there isn't, is it potentially, there isn't a huge amount of character? Yes, absolutely. That, that absolutely. You can sort of fill it with your um, own Not dissimilar to Doctor Who. Yeah, you know, that.
2: So, so by you know, necessity, the fact that they had put Don Levy in that role, it's like, well, it was basically going to be Don Levy, but him acting in a humanist fashion and defeating the monster by having a philosophical debate with it is probably not going to work with brian don levy no. um, and, and interestingly uh, sort of Quatermass 2 which uh came out a couple of years later actually works better with don levy because essentially what they do is just give the, it begins in media res and I'm, you know, you'll talk about this i'm sure when you come to it but you know it basically begins with brian Donlevy is quite a massive driving into the thick of the action and then it doesn't really let up so effectively they just give him
1: more to be angry about well i suppose in 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 the, in the second film the yeah. fact that there's sort of a, a government conspiracy means that the, he has no reason to to not trust yeah uh, to trust um, to the, the government or rail against them yeah. here it's like he's acting against them just because he believes he knows he knows almost best or because, <laughs> because he's, he's an enormous tool. Yeah. well I think that wraps up the Quatermass experiment um, and it, what do you think was the the legacy for the Quatermass experiment as far as Hammer was concerned
2: well uh, it was a huge success for them uh, and subsequently their, their business model was we made a lot of money making a horror film let's do that some more uh, and that goes into so th- the remainder of the 1950s, sort of between 55 and 57, they do another Quatermass. They do X the Unknown, which is effectively Hammer's version of Quatermass with the numbers filed off. Um, and
0: we're going to be covering that.
2: We'll be covering point that in the future. Yeah. They do The Abominable Snowman at the Himalayas, which is another B- adaptation of a BBC Nigel Neal uh, serial. Uh, and then that takes them essentially through to. 1957 when Quatermass 2 came out is also the year that they made The Curse of Frankenstein Uh, and at that point uh, their gothic horror um, colour gothic horror revival just explodes Um, and not just them but British horror is kind of changed uh, almost beyond recognition uh, from then on and really they don't come back to sci-fi that much Uh, very occasionally um, obviously, eventually they make quite a mess in the pit. Uh, much, much later,
1: which is a phenomenal, uh, very phenomenal much so. Film. Yeah, uh, and often for uh, people, um, often or more often than not, people's first experience of quite a mess. when they when they were, when they were, when they were it uh, was mine. Yeah, I
2: think it was mine too. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, but also, I mean, quite a mess. Uh, quite a mess. Experiment is kind. You could probably argue is the first sort of the Fungus Among Us movie. Um, you know, it, it's one of those sci-fi <laughs> plots that's been done ad infinitum ever since. I mean, uh, the, the movie Life that came out a couple of years ago is basically the Quatermass. Movie. It is, yeah. yeah um, it is. You know, one, one of my favourite terrible films, Life Force, is effectively...
1: Toe was Oh, yes. all, all,
2: all three Quatermass movies kind of rolled into one with Naked Matilda May. Um, yeah, so, so absolutely. I mean, this was... This was the watershed film for Hammer. This was the one without which, you know, we would not sort of have the beloved uh, Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, uh, gothic horrors. Uh, we would not have Dracula 80 1972 without the mess experiment, and I think that, that tells you a great deal. It certainly <laughs> does. <laughs> yeah.
1: Of aniamus, finest, that's, that's a good place it <laughs> is uh, ab- absolutely <laughs> it's amazing
2: how many conversations I can shut down
1: with Draco in 1972, 1972. That's brilliant Johnny Alucard brilliant Dave Thomas thank you very much for joining us thank you so much for having me
0: yeah thank you so much Dave
1: and thank you for listening and we'll be back with you next time when we'll be covering Quatermass 2
0: goodbye bye now Thank you for listening to episode three of BirdCast. BirdCast is presented by John Deere and me, Howard Ingham. You can find John's work at viewsfromahill.com and my own writing at room207press.com. The BirdCast site, with further information, images and commentary, can be found at birdcast.room207press.com. And we can be found on Facebook and Twitter as Bergcast Calling. Birdcast was engineered by Emma Cooper. Thanks for listening.